Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. Today, I review the five biggest mistakes to avoid in the college admissions process. And by the way, this was not an easy thing to do. After being in this industry for a long time, there are so many pitfalls to avoid that it's hard to know even where to begin. Honestly, I spent 30, 40 minutes trying to narrow down the list from 30 big no-nos to the five biggest no-nos. Because if I hit you with the 30 big mistakes, you'd be overwhelmed. You would freak out. You wouldn't remember any of them. And you would probably leave more confused than you started. And that's not what we're after. So I stuck with the top five, a reasonable number to expect you to listen to and digest in 10 or 15 minutes and to remember. And I thought I'd go through these in reverse order from mistake number five to mistake number one in increasing importance. In other words, I'm leaving the biggest or the worst mistake, as it were, for last. Let's get started. The number five biggest mistake to avoid in the college admissions process. Thinking that sports will save the day. And by that I mean thinking that because your child has had success in sports at a young age, maybe even extreme success, and because you've committed so much time and effort and energy and resources and social capital and weekends and summers to the sport for the past six or seven years, that this will somehow magically translate into an athletic scholarship of some kind with a meaningful financial win at the end of the road. This is especially common for parents with their first child because they just don't know any better. And the reason that this is on the list of biggest mistakes is because, number one, it's often not true, both the scholarship and the financial return on investment. And two, if left unchecked, a child, and a family's, by the way, continued blind devotion to the sport, often with no attachment to reality, will often crowd out a lot of other potentially better uses of time during high school than sports, sports, and more sports. And when it finally dawns on the family that the child does not have a future in college sports, let alone a scholarship, it can be very disorienting. This normally happens sometime in the beginning of 11th grade. And by then, unfortunately, it's too late to go back and experience other parts of high school, whether academic or social or student government or other extracurriculars, summer work experience. It's over. Now, of course, there are many of you who have heard stories of students who have gone down this road and succeeded and received athletic scholarships, allegedly, or gotten into an Ivy League school because of sports. But these are not common cases. They are exceptions. 
And honestly, many of these cases are fabricated or at the least exaggerated, especially in the case of athletic scholarships. And for the students who do win in this game, either the student-athletes were orders of magnitude better than everyone else in their skill level or body type or their IQ, or the families were experienced, they planned ahead, they sought out advice, they enrolled in Preppel Academy, and they were 100% dialed in from the get-go. There are not many student-athletes or families who fit this profile. I know many of them, I've advised many of them, and they are not your average people. This is the reason I created the Prepwell Athlete Plan, so that student-athletes and their parents learn how the game is played early enough to make a difference, and not to waste time and money and hope, to give them reality checks along the way, to help them know when they're on track or when they're barking up the wrong tree. And that's why I'm so adamant about starting in ninth grade, so that families have enough time to get their bearings, to assess the landscape, and make smart decisions. It makes life easier for everyone involved. The number four biggest mistake to avoid in the college admissions process. Not understanding the basics of financial aid for college. Now, we can really get into some rabbit holes when it comes to financial aid, and that's not what I want to do today. We'll leave that deep dive for another episode. Today, I want to focus on the few basic things that most parents misunderstand and should be well aware of ahead of time. The first thing is to know the difference between merit-based financial aid and need-based financial aid. Merit-based financial aid versus need-based financial aid. These terms are thrown around a lot with a lot of jargon. And sometimes it's hard to really understand the difference between the two. Sometimes they just seem to blend together. Well, I'm going to walk us through these two terms slowly so that you can really capture what they mean and how they might apply in your situation. Let's start with need-based financial aid. Need-based financial aid refers to aid given to families who, theoretically, need it. Well, what does that mean? Can I just raise my hand and say that I need it? No, I wish it was that easy. You fill out a form that spits out a number that represents what colleges will expect you to be prepared to pay for a year of college. You may hear this referred to as your EFC, your expected family contribution. Your EFC, that number that gets spit out after you put your own income information and asset information in, your EFC could be $5,000 a year, $17,000, $80,000, $110,000 a year. If that amount, your EFC, is less than what the college costs, then the college can elect to fill that gap with a grant of some kind because you've shown to them that you need it, quote-unquote. For example, if the college costs $80,000 a year and the college expects you to pay $15,000, your EFC, then a college may offer to close that gap 
that $60,000 gap with $60,000 worth of need-based financial aid. Of course, not every college is obligated to do this. Some colleges are very generous when it comes to need-based financial aid. Some even guarantee to pay the whole difference between the cost and a family's EFC. And some, many, are not as generous because they can't afford it. So the amount of need-based financial aid given to families is usually a function of the family's EFC, what they're expected to pay, and the school's willingness or ability to meet any shortfall between the family's EFC and the total cost of attendance. Okay, have we got that? Are you tracking with me? I know there's a lot of acronyms and long words, so I tried to break it down slowly and in plain language. And the beauty of the podcast is you can rewind and listen to this a few times and let it digest. It's not particularly hard to understand, but it can get jargony. Now, let's switch gears to merit-based financial aid. If your family makes a lot of money, more specifically, if your family earns a lot of current income, you will likely not be eligible for need-based financial aid. Because again, in theory, you don't need it. Now, of course, we can quibble about what that threshold number is and whether breaching that number really means that you can afford an $80,000 a year college bill. Fact check false. But that's a topic for a different day. If you have two working parents, it's likely that need-based financial aid is off the table. These families need to set their sights on merit-based financial aid opportunities. Merit-based aid is based on typically, one, how well your child performs academically, more specifically, their SAT or ACT score, and two, what type of merit-based aid, if any, the colleges you are considering will offer. Because not every college offers merit-based financial aid. There are other factors, but these are the biggies. So, if you make too much money to be eligible for need-based financial aid, it's time to start studying for the SAT and ACT and targeting schools that offer generous merit-based scholarships for high standardized test scores. And these are things that you can easily look up online. And no, Ivy League schools do not fall into this category. Ivy League schools do not offer merit-based scholarships, or athletic-based scholarships for that matter. Everybody that applies to Ivy League schools already has, in most cases, off-the-charts SAT and ACT scores. They don't need, the Ivy League schools, don't need to entice high-performing candidates with merit scholarship awards. It's the school's just below the Ivies, who want to look more Ivy-like, who are willing to pay good money to entice a student with a 1580 SAT to go to their school. That's where your leverage is. These schools can sometimes offer $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 a year, even full tuition scholarships to bright students with high academic scores. These are very important distinctions to keep in mind early in the process. 
There's one other key financial concept related to timing that is important to know early in the game so that you don't royally mess up your financial aid eligibility. The concept is known as your base year. Your child's base year refers to the calendar year from which their financial aid will be determined when they apply for financial aid. Let me put that a different way. Your child's base year is the calendar year, January through December, that spans his or her sophomore to junior year, long before many people even think about college finances. I know, it's odd. This has been a relatively recent change, and the details of why they changed it aren't really relevant to detail here. The year that is considered when determining financial aid happens well before your child applies to college and when you apply for financial aid, which is typically at the earliest October of their senior year. So it's very easy to get caught unawares. The financial ticker, if you will, starts in the middle of your child's sophomore year in high school, January of their sophomore year, and runs through the summer to the middle of their junior year, the end of December. If you don't know that, and you make a financial decision during that calendar year that shows a lot of income, maybe you sell a property or a business, or you liquidate stocks, you could be severely hurting your chances of qualifying for financial aid 18 months later. So please keep that in mind. And to put this into real terms, if you right now have a child who is a sophomore, class of 2022, basically just finishing up sophomore year, you are halfway through your base year as it relates to financial aid eligibility. So if you do have a class of 2022 sophomore and your income has been negatively impacted by COVID and will likely continue to be negatively impacted for the next six months or so, this may actually help you in qualifying for financial aid in two years when that child actually applies to college. Hopefully that's a silver lining. Okay, moving on. The third biggest mistake to avoid in the college admissions process. Ignoring summers. This is a biggie. Conventional wisdom leads students and parents, by the way, to believe that they should wait until junior year to really start thinking about college. This is terrible advice. I've said this before many times on several levels. One of the reasons it's so bad is because left to their own devices, most teens will waste the first two summers of their high school career, the summers after freshman and sophomore year. Without someone guiding them, they don't care about having a productive summer. Not going to school is productive enough in their minds. They won't have a plan. They'll bump around and do this and do that. Many won't crack a book or solve a single math problem. This is an application killer with no chance of recovery. Students just can't make up for four to six months of zero productivity over the course of two summers. And let me just pause for a second to remind you 
that the advice that I provide is for students who actually care about the college process, who actually want to succeed. They have a vision. They want to make smart choices. And I realize that this doesn't describe a large majority of teenagers in ninth and 10th grade. This is a shame and a major frustration for me. And when their guidance counselors and friends and sometimes parents who don't want to deal with it, they're all saying, don't worry about it until 11th grade. They are more than happy to oblige. Yes, this is a constant source of angst for me because I know what happens when they get to 11th grade. They've gotten a little more mature. They've gotten a little more serious about life. Their friends are starting to make moves. And all of a sudden, they're surprised, to put it lightly, at how far behind they are, especially compared to prep wellers. And they wonder why no one ever told them how important summers were, for instance. Think about it. There's very little time during the school year to do anything but schoolwork. Yes, maybe a sport or an extracurricular or two, or a club. That's about it, especially if you're taking advanced classes. The summer, on the other hand, is a blank slate in most cases. The summer is where you make your money on your college applications. That's where you show your initiative, your resourcefulness, creativity, hustle. That's where you show the colleges what you care about, because what you spend your time on is what you care about. If you spend six to seven hours a day playing Call of Duty, then that's what you care about. And that, by the way, is what you're going to get good at. So my advice is to try to convince your child to pay attention to every summer in their high school career. Or enroll in Preppel Academy and let me do this. I suggest that students sit down with their parents during freshman year and map out their summer plans for the next three summers. What's on the menu and for which summers? Sports camps? Travel? Academics? Volunteering? Work? Reading? Writing? Math? Music? Internships? Whatever it might be. Be intentional about this. Obviously, when you're younger, it's tougher to get a job or an internship. That's okay. There are plenty of other things to do in the early years. You have to put a plan together. If you just wing it, you could be sacrificing an incredible opportunity. Okay, let's move on to the second biggest mistake to avoid in the college admissions process. Deprioritizing the SAT and ACT. COVID-19 has really created a false belief that the SAT and ACT scores are becoming less and less important. Yes, the UC system, University of California school system, recently announced that it will move away from acquiring either of these two tests over the next few years. In fact, they claim that by 2025, they may reach a total phase out of any tests, or they may build their own test. And of course, this year specifically with COVID-19, the whole UC system has gone test optional, meaning that submitting an SAT or ACT score is no longer required, and many other colleges are following suit, particularly for the next year or so. But this should not be a complete mindset change in terms of the value of the SAT or ACT score. Don't fall into the trap. The problem is that students 
think that this is somehow good news for them. They think they're getting away with something. They think this means that they get a pass and they don't have to worry about these tests anymore. They are wrong. Yes, I understand that teenagers don't like the idea of studying for months and months for a high-stakes and high-stress test. Who would? And anything that would take that test off their plates sounds on the surface to be a good thing. In the end, that is a bad attitude to take. Standardized test scores, for good or for bad, provide a filtering system for students and schools. Not into good and bad, necessarily, but into groupings. Just like a student's GPA is made up of different groupings of grades, A, B, C, D, F, associated with different levels of effort and performance. Classes are grouped differently. Advanced classes, AP classes, honors, IB programs. In sports, there are groupings. All city, all state, all region, all American. SAT and ACT scores gives schools an objective measure from which to compare students across the nation. This is very helpful and on the academic side, very rare. I recorded an entire podcast, episode 28, about the pros and cons of skipping the SAT or ACT this year, or any year for that matter. I did that podcast because I couldn't take hearing another student or parent gloating about how they were going to skip the SAT this year. I won't rehash all of the reasons why this is not a smart idea. You can check out the podcast. But here's a quick summary. Number one, because not every school is going test optional. And if you put your eggs in the test optional school's basket only, your choices will be limited. Number two, 80% of applicants to test optional schools will still submit SAT scores even if they don't have to. Number three, scholarships, merit-based aid, honors programs are often tied to performance on standardized tests. So by skipping the test, you've immediately taken yourself out of the running for the most part for these programs and money. That could be a $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 mistake if you gave up the opportunity to earn a merit-based scholarship. And last, number four, and I'll leave it here, is that students need to learn how to study for a high-stakes exam. They will likely take many more of these in their lives. I've taken dozens of standardized tests since taking my SAT. Whether it's the military or business school or firefighting or investment management, you name it. Why not figure out how to do this successfully now when it matters? Figure out how to lay out a long-term study plan. Figure out your learning style. Can you stay disciplined? Can you learn from your mistakes? These are golden rules that should not be given up on. Even if you're given an easy way out. And yes, I walk through all of this inside Preppel Academy. So if you're listening and your child is not yet enrolled, get cracking and sign them up. Don't take the easy way out. And finally, the number one biggest mistake to avoid in the college admissions process. Not starting early enough. If you surveyed 100 parents and students and asked them what they wished they would have done 
to make the college admissions process more manageable, more productive, less stressful, more successful? The answer, the overwhelming answer, is start earlier. It's not even close. You should try it. Find a parent or a friend or a student who's been through this process and ask them what they wish they would have done differently or what they did that really helped them out a lot. What really moved the needle? The answer will be preparing well ahead of everyone else. Why? Because when you start early, you iron out a lot of these little issues early on before they become massive issues of which there's no turning back. The problem is nobody except for me is telling you this. Everyone, of course I'm generalizing here, everyone points to 11th grade. It's hard to go against the grain, particularly when your child is probably not chomping at the bit to get started earlier. And who wants the added pressure of trying to convince a teen who's digging their heels in? So what do we do? We let it slide and slide and slide. We have other things to worry about. Then when your 11th grader wakes up and realizes that he or she is way behind the power curve, that's when the anxiety builds. This is why I started Preppel Academy, and this is why I started in ninth grade. My goal is to get students in the right mindset at the right time. This doesn't mean that I advise them to study for the SAT in ninth grade, no. But I introduce them, and you parents, to the language and the terminology and the strategies and the timing and the tactics that will get them comfortable with the process and help them avoid these big mistakes. Of course, not every prep weller takes me up on my advice. Not every parent takes me up on my advice. Welcome to the world of advising teenagers and families. But that should not stop a parent from trying their best to give their child the best possible chances of having a successful high school career that culminates in a productive college admissions process. This is my mission. If your child is already a prep weller, thank you for putting your child on the right path. Your help is a godsend. If your child is not a prep weller yet, please enroll them and join the rest of us on a mission to make this process more manageable, less stressful, more productive, more transparent. And by the way, now is a very exciting time in our office here at Preppel Academy. Because as of tomorrow, June 1st, we begin a new school year, quote-unquote, as it were. We bid our senior prep wellers, the class of 2020, a fond goodbye and wish them great luck on their journeys. And we welcome all of the freshly graduating 8th graders, the class of 2024, who are now officially rising freshmen to the Prepwell family. And of course, our freshman prep wellers turn into rising sophomores, and our sophomore prep wellers turn into rising juniors, and our junior prep wellers turn into rising seniors. Congratulations to everyone, and thank you for making Preppel Academy a part of your lives. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you do know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader in high school that might find this message helpful, please share this episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with the tiny arrow that points up. That's what we call the share button. Click that share button. Text your friends the link to this episode. Maybe put a little personal note in there from you, recommending that they should 
give a listen. If you do have questions, comments, maybe you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email. DM me on Instagram, prepwell underscore academy. Check out my blog or Facebook or LinkedIn profiles. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by Prepwell Academy. Prepwell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your 9th or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.